I want to do something different. Today is our church's 117th anniversary, and so what I want to do in this message today is for us to look back on those years, at least some of the highlights of those years, and I want to try to honor the past today. I can remember when I was in seminary, before that when I was in college, my dad would say to me, John, one day you're going to get out there and serve at a church, and by that time I was at at some churches, and he said, but when you become a full-time pastor, he said, always honor the past. Honor those who have gone before you. Honor former pastors. Have them back to preach and do things like that. He said a lot of pastors try to ignore the past. And maybe they're intimidated by the past. They never like to bring that up. They just think the history of the church started when they got there. He said don't be that way. He said always honor the past. And remember this. Whatever church you go to, the church was there before you arrived. And the church will be there after you leave. And he said, you're just a small part of a greater thing that God is doing. And so today, I want to do my best to honor the past, to honor the uh, First Baptist Church in Pasadena on our 117th anniversary. Now, good news and bad news. The bad news is, if you normally like one of my sermons, you might not like this one because it's going to be different. The good news is, if you don't particularly like my sermons, you might like this one because it's going to be different, okay? So maybe today you'll be in that second group. But open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 12. I want us to look at two verses, and then I want us to get into some practical lessons that we can learn from our spiritual grandparents. The fact is, I was scheduled to preach this morning a sermon on the subject of, Will We Have Crowns in Heaven?, We talked last Sunday morning about living a life that counts for God, trying to be a peacemaker, trying to be a soul winner, trying to serve God with all of our hearts. And I wanted to pick up there today and say, if we live that kind of life, one day when we step out into eternity and when we see Jesus face to face, he's going to give us some crowns. And there are five different crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament. And so I was going to teach on all those. And I want to delay that sermon for a few weeks because what I want to do today is to focus on the history of the church. This was what I was going to share to introduce the sermon on crowns, but it's so important. I want it to be the entire sermon this morning. Uh, Lessons from our spiritual grandparents. But look in Hebrews chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 1. Now remember, Hebrews chapter 11 is the great honor roll of faith. We read about Abraham and Moses and David and all those people who have gone before us and how they went through hard times in their lives and yet they trusted God and God saw them through all those experiences and he'll do the same for us. So in chapter 12, verse 1, here's what it says. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so the Bible is saying to us that we should picture our life like a race. Let's just play like we're down at NRG Stadium and the stadium is full, 80,000 people. And we're down there on the, on the ground level, on the, on the field. And, and we're running a race. And as we run this race, the race of life, as it were, we're to be looking unto Jesus. He's our example. We focus on Him. He helps us. But also, there are people in the stands. 
There are those who have gone before us. There's Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And all these are our examples. And it's not so much that they are spectators. They're not so much watching us run our race as it is we're looking to their example. And we go through something and we say, hey, you know what? Joseph went through this in the Old Testament. Or Isaiah had a problem kind of like this. Or Ruth faced a situation like this. Or Jeremiah was in a mess kind of like I'm in. And their example encourages us to keep running. Well, just like in the grandstands of, of life, we have these Bible characters. We also have people who have lived since the Bible has been written. They don't have the same authority as the Bible, of course. But Christians who have lived since the Bible uh, was written, and they too are our example. Many of you have parents in heaven who loved God. They're an example for you of faithfulness and trust God and, and serve Him with all your heart. Grandparents, family members, friends, former pastors. Well, as a church, we have 117 years of history. We have men and women who have gone before us, who have faced challenges, problems, obstacles, and yet... They have run their race faithfully and they have run it well. And so today we want to, I want to just honor them, honor the past, but not just that, to see what we can learn from their lives that we could apply to our own lives that would hopefully help us to run our race better so that one day when we're gone from earth and we're in heaven, people can look back on this season in the life of First Baptist Church and they can say, you know what, how they ran their life, how they tried to live their life is an encouragement and it is an example to me. And so today, let's see if we can't pull some of those lessons out. Number one lesson that we can learn from our spiritual grandparents is that sometimes God does His greatest work out of the ashes of our lives. Sometimes God does His greatest work out of the ashes of our lives. You know, sometimes in life, we'll go through a situation or a circumstance, and when that circumstance is over, we feel like our lives have been burned up. We feel like the only thing that is left is, an, is ashes, a heap of ashes. But did you know the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3, that God will give us beauty for our ashes. It's a tremendous promise. God has a way of taking things that are dead, taking things that are destroyed, taking an ash heap, and out of that, God can make something beautiful. Did you know that's exactly what happened when our church was founded uh, 117 years ago? The earliest record of a Baptist work, a Baptist church in this part of, of Harris County, happened in Deepwater. In the late 1800s, back then, Deepwater was its kind of its own community, and there was a small Baptist church that met there, and in 1898, that congregation moved to Pasadena, and it was known as Deepwater Baptist Church, and so they had services each week, and they met. Well, in 1900, of course, the great hurricane hit Galveston, and between six and 12,000 people were killed. The greatest uh, natural disaster in American history ha happened back then. Not only was Galveston wiped out, but so was Pasadena and all these surrounding areas, and so was the church where the people had been meeting, and so after the great storm, that church kind of just stopped meeting, and it didn't, didn't have the services evidently with the same regularity that it had before. But in 1901, on October the 28th of 1901, Reverend P.M. Murphy reorganized the church. He said, hey, I know we've had this hurricane, 
I know our work has, the work has been destroyed here at Deepwater Baptist Church, but I think we need to reorganize. This, this town needs a church. They need a witness for Christ, and we need to have that. And so they changed the name from Deepwater Baptist Church to Pasadena Missionary Baptist Church. Back in a long time ago, and even today if you go into the deep south and the rural part of Georgia and some of those other states, you'll discover that there are two primary types of of old-line Baptist churches. There are missionary Baptist churches, and there are what are called primitive Baptist churches, or the the hard-shell Baptist church. The missionary Baptist church believes that it is our responsibility as Christians to share Christ with others, to share our faith, to to give an invitation at the end of the service, to to pass out tracts and booklets, and do everything we can to help people to get saved, to send missionaries, and to do everything. The primitive Baptist church is just the opposite of that. They believe that, hey, God's already chosen who's going to be saved, and, and so there's not anything that we're supposed to do. They're against an invitation. They're against evangelistic witness. They're against sending out missionaries. And so they just think, that, you know, whoever has been chosen, that's who's going to be saved. And so we have no responsibility to share Christ. And so when our church was founded, they said, we want it to be known we're here to share Christ. We're here to, to, to help people know that, that they can be saved. And so there was Pasadena Missionary Baptist Church. Well, not too long after that, the church ended up dropping that word missionary. It was maybe a divisive thing or maybe it was drawing too much attention to how they were different from this other church. And so we became known as Pasadena Baptist Church. And that was our church's name until 1938 when we became the first Baptist church in Pasadena. But what I was interested to learn is long before that happened, in uh, 1901, we had 17 charter members. And in 1902, our church called our very first pastor a man named Reverend W.F. Smith. And in those days, we met in a one-room schoolhouse, and we shared that facility with a Methodist church. We had, as best as I can understand the church history, our pastor was bivocational, so he would preach every other week. And the Methodist church had, a, as I can understand, a bivocational pastor. And so between those two men, they were having sermons every week. But we shared that facility with the, with the Methodist congregation. In 1903, our very first building was constructed because they felt like, you know what, we're in this school building. We need our own building. So we need to buy some land and we need to build our building. And they did that. And we have a picture today of our very first church. And this was in 1903. And those are our very first members. To the far right over there, you'll see Jimmy. He was leading the singing. And he had, uh... in fact, speaking of Jimmy, I read something that I thought was interesting. In 1934, our church was uh, having a meeting about something, a business, a business meeting about a, uh, to, to discuss a revival. And evidently by this time, the church had grown and, and it was getting big enough to, to have somebody to lead the singing. It needed a song leader and certainly the revival needed somebody to lead the singing. And the, in the meeting, it was interrupted by a fellow named Brother L.O. Allen. And he said, and I quote, this church does not need a paid singer. It is not biblical to pay a singer. And the motion carried, and the singer went unpaid. I thought, I'm glad Jimmy wasn't here yet. He'd have been out selling strawberries or something on the side to try to provide for, uh, provide for the family. But anyway, those are kind of the, uh, 
That's kind of how our church started. Here's a hurricane, wiped everything out. Certainly it was discouraging. But this brother Murphy, he wasn't even the pastor. He just said, we need a church in Pasadena to tell people about Jesus. And so that's how it started. And I think the application of this for us today is simply this. Sometimes in our lives there's a storm. Sometimes it's like everything we were hoping for has been destroyed and it's been wiped out. Maybe that's how you feel today. You maybe just feel like my, my hope for the future has gone up in smoke. The storm has taken it down and all I have is this mess here and there's nothing good about all these ashes. Friend, the good news is today the same God who turned beauty for ashes in 1901 can still turn beauty into ashes in 2018. And he has a way of taking the broken pieces of our lives. All of us have some broken pieces. All of us have some ashes. All of us have some things in our lives that we look at it and we say, man, my dream has died. My hope has died. There seems to be no future in anything that's left. It's all gone up in smoke and all I have are the ashes. Friend, if you will commit those ashes to God, He will take them and He will make something absolutely beautiful out of them. Have you noticed, even in the world in which we live today, that it is often the broken thing that is the most beautiful thing? It's the broken rose that produces the beautiful smell. It's the broken olives that produce the oil. It's the broken ground that that receives the seed. And many times it's the broken heart that is the most receptive to God. And so today, in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of that ash heap, don't think that it's over. It's not over till God says it's over. And God can take those broken things and God can put those things together. I heard John Osteen used to say when he was living and pastoring at Lakewood Church, when a member would come up to him with a broken piece or a broken dream or a real mess in that person's life. And Pastor Osteen would say to them, you can't unscramble eggs, but God can make an omelet. Think about that. God can take the scrambled eggs of our lives and God can make an omelet. God can make something beautiful. And I think if if our spiritual grandparents were here today, that's the first thing they would say to us. If Brother Murphy and Brother Smith back from the early days could be here today preaching, they would say, hey, we thought it was over here in Pasadena, but it was after that storm. See, sometimes God does His greatest work after the storms of our lives. And it's a tremendous lesson. Second thing today that I think they would say to us is simply this. Sometimes God, call, God calls us to take a step of faith even if we don't know where that step might lead. Sometimes God calls us to take a step of faith, even if we don't know where that step might lead. The history of our church, we have seen God leading and saying, do this and do this. Our church has moved all over Pasadena. In fact, it started out in that building, started out in the schoolhouse, and then in the building that I showed you, and then as the church grew, they ended up purchasing some property and building a building on South Main, down on the northern end of Pasadena, and then in the 1950s, they moved from there to the Tartar Street location. Today, it's Pasadena Boulevard. Actually, before they even got in there, they had to go to Southmore Junior High and have services there, and then they moved into the Pasadena Boulevard, Tartar Street location in the 50s, and then we moved out here in the 90s. But it is always God leading us to take one step of faith, and then we take it, and the next step becomes clear. Somebody has said, following the will of God is like following the beam of a flashlight on a forest trail. 
One step must be taken before the next step is illuminated. And all through the history of our church, we see God leading us to do that and our church doing that. Did you know back in 1904, our church wanted to have a revival to try to tell as many people how to be saved. And so we had our very first, it was a tent revival, met outside under a tent. And in that revival, 17 people were saved. Four other people came and joined our church. And do you know how much that revival meeting cost? Now remember, we've got the tent, we've got the preacher, and they didn't pay the singer. So between that and whatever other expenses they had, that revival cost $9.75. $9.75. And, but the people had only turned in and they had only collected $8.89. So they were 86 cents short. So they said, what are we going to do? They said, we're going to ask the deacons to make up the difference. And the deacons paid it off. So, uh, so what I, my point is, if you were to read this book, you would see over and over again, hey, we feel like God is leading us to do this, but we don't have the resources. We don't have the money. We don't know how it will work out. And yet they took that step of faith, and God always honors it. In more recent times, in the more recent history of our church, my dad became the pastor here in 1990. And uh, not long after he had been here, the church began to, to think and to pray and to study. What can we do to reach the most people for Jesus Christ? And even, by the, well, even before the 90s, but for sure by 1990, 1991, it was obvious that a tremendous number of homes were going to be built in this part of Pasadena, that Deer Park would continue to grow, Laporte would continue to grow, uh, Kima and all that area. So it, the church felt like, well, maybe we need to look into the possibility of having some kind of a work out there. And so they appointed back then a long-range planning committee. And there were nine people on that committee. And they, they, they came back and they made three recommendations. They worked, of course, with my dad. And they made three recommendations to the church. Number one, they said, we need to purchase land in the new growth area of Pasadena. Before we purchase this land that we're sitting on today, that group looked at 25 or more tracts of land before settling on the land here at Fairmont and Red Bluff that was owned at that time by three different land owners. So that was the first thing. The second thing that they said we need to do is to develop a private school. And at that time, it just it was on uh, certainly my dad's heart, and he shared that with the church. And it says in the church minutes here in 1993, First Baptist Christian Academy began a vision began as a vision of our pastor, Dr. Redmond, ultimately became a vision and commitment of our church. In 1991, the idea was put before the Long Range Planning Committee, who then elected a committee to study the desire and the support of a, of a Christian school. Through prayer, discussion, and surveys, the church voted in 1992 to begin a Christian school using rooms in the Morgan Fellowship Center. This was our old location. As classrooms, a consultant was hired to assist in the work of beginning a school. And through many meetings, First Baptist Christian Academy began its first school year in August of 1993 with a total enrollment of 46 students which included 38 pre-kindergartners, four kindergartners, two first graders, and two second graders. Don't you know those first and second graders hope they like the other person in their class because that was going to be their only friend for the whole day. And at that time, Joyce Harding was the leader of our school. And fast forward now, 25 years later, this is, I guess, the 25th year our school has been in existence. And now Freddie Cullens uh, is leading the school, and God has just continued to bless the school. I sent Freddie a text last night, and I said, what is the, 
How many students do we have? How many faculty and staff? To the glory of God, from 46 students, we now have 563 students at First Baptist Christian Academy. And we thank God and praise the Lord for that. We have 75 faculty and staff. We have way more faculty and staff than we used to have students. But back at that time, it didn't seem like that it happened to turn out that way. But God called our church to take a step of faith. And then to develop strategies to meet changing needs in an existing location. And we just thank God for how he led us to take those steps and how he has honored and blessed the steps that have been taken. But in your life, we have to think not just about the church history. Think about your own life. It may be that God is leading you as a, as in your family, in your business, in some way, maybe in your, your spiritual life. God is leading you to take a step of faith. He's put something on your heart, something you feel like you need to do. And yet you think, but if I take that step of faith, where is it going to lead? How is it going to work out? How will I pay for the bills? How will, how will I have money for my... How, let me tell you, where God guides, God provides. The grace of God will never lead you where the hand of God does not provide for you. And so if you'll step out in faith, God will always meet your need and God will always take care of you. It may not be immediate. It may not be exactly like you thought it would, but it will always be that way because that's just how God always honors our obedience. And then the third thing that I was so encouraged about is that God has placed the church in the world. This is maybe the best lesson of all. God has placed the church in the world to reach people for Jesus Christ. We're not here just for us. We're not here just to have services. Although we do have services, we should have services, and thank God we have good services. But it's not just so we can be with our friends, and it's not just so we can encourage each other. That's all part of it. But the primary reason that God has placed the church in the world is so that we can reach beyond the walls of our church. And so we can tell a lost and a dying world about Jesus Christ and how they can be saved. And even though we've just kind of come up with this, and I felt the Lord, we felt like the Lord gave us this name, Beyond These Walls, the fact is First Baptist Pasadena has been taking the gospel beyond these walls for 117 years. Now, some of you who've been around for a long time, what I'm about to share with you is not anything new, but we have many in our church who are much newer to, to First Baptist, and I want to just share some things that I think will be of special interest to you, and even some of the old timers, I think it would be good for you to hear this again. Our church has started many, many churches in our own area. After Dr. Morgan became the pastor here in 1940, one of the things he wanted to do was to reach Pasadena for Jesus Christ. Back at that time, even a little bit even before he was called, there were only two Baptist churches in Pasadena, First Baptist and Memorial Baptist. And they tried to merge those two churches together. Then just let's just have one bigger church. And there might have been some advantages to doing that. But for whatever reason, that never did come into fruition. That never did happen. But beginning in the, in the 1940s, our church started birthing these other churches. We started Second Baptist Church in Pasadena. In other words, we had a group in our church. And the minutes here tell us exactly how many, I think it was 30-something, who left First Baptist and they went to start Second Baptist Church in Pasadena, which is pastored today by a friend of ours, Mike Naren, and that church is still going and that church is doing well. After we started Second Baptist, we started Ritchie Street 
Baptist Church. I think there were 133 of our members who lettered out of First Baptist and went to Ritchie Street and started that church. And in time, many of them came back. But that's another church we started. In 1953, when Dr. Morgan was pastoring at the, our church was on South Main. That was the name of the street where we were on. Dr. Morgan felt like the church needed to relocate to Tartar Street, which would have been uh, several miles up from there because there many more houses. He said, I think if we'll move from South Main to Tartar Street that we can reach more people. And so the church talked about it, prayed about it. They voted about it. The majority of the people said, we, we think we should do that. We think we should move to Tartar Street. But there were quite a few who said, we don't want to do that. We want to stay right here. And so there was a friendly division, and that's how South Main Baptist Church started. It started by the people who did not want to relocate and go to Tartar Street. So there's another church that in our church's history, it all ties together. Not in, kind of in the middle of all that, not long after that, we started South Avenue Baptist Church here in Pasadena. In 1966, of course, our church started Sagemont Baptist Church, and Dr. Morgan's son, John, John Morgan, uh, became the pastor of that church, and they just celebrated their 52nd anniversary. And so that's how Sagemont ever got started. In 1976... Our church gave University Baptist Church in Clear Lake $25,000, which would have been a significant gift now. But in 1976, very significant to help them buy the land that they're sitting on today in Clear Lake. I wouldn't necessarily say we started that church, but we were a major contributor to help that church get started. In addition to that, we've started a Hispanic church and a Korean church, something that might be interesting to you. I don't know how important it is, but it might be interesting. In 1978, if you're driving down Fairmont Parkway and you pass Memorial Baptist Church, it sits on about 15 acres of land. First Baptist Church used to own that land. In fact, we've talked to Brother Darrell when Darrell Robinson was pastor here. We've talked, had this story, my dad and I, with him. And the church made a decision in 1978 to trade that land, to give that land to Memorial Baptist Church in exchange for the facility, the building that Memorial had in North Pasadena so that we could have a place to put our Hispanic and our Korean church. And so, again, we didn't start Memorial, but there's always been a good relationship between the churches, even in the trading of land like that. So all of that to say that the history of our church has always been, get the gospel beyond these walls. And you heard my dad earlier in the service talking about the church in Guadalajara, Mexico, that's now wanting to, trying to start another church. And we're through beyond these walls, vitally involved in that. The church just outside of Boston in Banner Hill, a brand new church, we're helping them to do as much as they can there and other church, I mean, lots of things, certainly missions giving and all the things. But our radio program is all part of that. Get the gospel beyond these walls. These little booklets we produce and, and give out. Take it, give it to somebody who doesn't go to church. Uh, beyond these walls, anything we can do to get the gospel beyond the walls of our church, God will always bless. You still listening, by the way? Say amen. Say amen. I know this is a history lesson. I know. And I said at the beginning, it may be a little bit too much history. I hope not. I hope it's interesting to you. Did you know... That in 1911, our church, 10 years old, felt like in order to more effectively get the gospel beyond the walls, to reach as many people as we can, the leadership of that church at that time felt like we need to have a special emphasis on prayer. And so they began a Thursday night 
prayer service. I did not know that until this past week when I was reading our church's history. Thursday night prayer service. And I thought, God, here we are. That was in 1911. 107 years later in 2018, we have started a Sunday night prayer and praise service for the same purpose, to pray for the power and the blessing, a supernatural outpouring of God's power to be on our lives and in our lives and in our church. And so the purpose of the church God has placed the church in the world to reach people for Jesus Christ. And then the other lesson I think we can learn today from our spiritual grandparents, and this is so very important, don't let what you cannot do stop you from doing what you can do. So many times we look at the world and we look at all the people, at least I do, like even in our community, and I think, God, there are just thousands of people who don't know the Lord, who don't know you, who don't have a church home. God, what can we, it just seems overwhelming. And nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And we should never let what we cannot do stop us from doing what we can do. One story that illustrates this from our church's history I've shared before, but from 1928 till 1937, for nine years, our church was pastored by a man named Reverend M.A. Darby. We have a picture of Reverend Darby, again, here for nine years. He's the third longest tenured pastor in our church's history. The longest tenured was Dr. Morgan. He was here for 33 and a third years. My dad will have been here 29 years in January. And after that, it's Brother Darby who was here for nine years. And then Brother Darrell Robinson was here for about eight. And Dr. Landrum was here for just over five. But anyway, Brother Darby was a faithful preacher. He loved God with all of his heart. He had studied at uh, Baylor University. had gone to Southwestern Seminary. He took his education, his preparation very seriously. And he pastored this church well for those nine years. But did you know Brother Darby had one major challenge in his life? The challenge was he was blind. He couldn't read. And so he couldn't see. And so as he had had to go through all of his schooling and then as he felt like God had called him to preach, I've thought many times through the years, it would have been so easy for Brother Darby to say, God, I love you, I want to serve you, I want my life to count for you. But God, I can't see. I can't drive to church. I can't read the Bible. I can't see the people when I'm preaching to them. God, how can I pastor a people whom I can't see? And how can I teach from a Bible that I can't read? That wasn't Brother Darby's attitude at all. He said in his, in his own spirit, he said, Lord, you've called me to preach. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I can't see. I have some obvious limitations, but I'm going to get out there and do the best I can. He learned to read Braille. He preached every Sunday from a Braille Bible, and he was a faithful, faithful pastor and a servant of God. Another thing I learned in preparing this sermon today, Brother Darby had two, pa- two brothers. Those two brothers also became pastors, and those two brothers were also blind. Can't tell you how many times during my time of being in Pasadena that I've thought about Brother Darby. And I've thought, God, if Brother Darby can serve you, if he can lead this church while he's blind, God, by your grace, I can do my part in, at First Baptist Church with some of the challenges and things that I might have gone through in my life. And so, and so can you. So the point is, don't let what you cannot do stop you from doing what you can do. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. Say that with me. Nobody can do everything, 
but everybody can do Did we say that right or did I mess it up? Let's try that again. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. See, what that means is you can't do everything. I can't do everything, but we can all do something, and we can, we can find our place in the body of Christ. Now, as I've thought about this, and, and I know the 117th, you're probably thinking, why are y'all making a big deal out of 117th? Why don't you wait the 125th or 150th or whatever? Well, I don't know. I just last week, when I was thinking about the message for today, as I read through those church minutes and just saw all the things that have happened in our church's history, I just thought, we in 2018 at First Baptist Church in Pasadena are standing on the shoulders of some faithful men and women of God who served him faithfully. And I, this thought ran through my mind. In 117 years from today, now that will be October the 28th, 2000, it would be 2135. Now how old will you be in 2135? Well, you won't be here. You'll be gone, and I'll be gone too. But it, here's the question. In 117 years from now, what will the people, if Jesus hasn't returned yet, and the world is still going on, what will the members of First Baptist Church in Pasadena be saying in 2135 about our small part in the church's history back in 2018? Now, you say, well, they're not going to be saying anything about me. And maybe they won't be saying anything about any of it. I, I think it's an important question, though, to say, God, are, am I fulfilling my responsibility? Am I being faithful like my spiritual grandparents were? Am I, am I holding up my end of the deal? Am I not only a faithful Christian, but am I a faithful church member? See, our spiritual grandparents, they were not only committed to the Lord, they were committed to the church. And their lives were built around the church. We live in a day that has so many activities and so many things going on. The majority of people at best are working church into an otherwise overcrowded schedule. And they kind of go to church when they got nothing else to do. Friend, church shouldn't be the last thing on our to-do list. Church should be at the top of our to-do list because Jesus Christ has founded the church. And so I think one of the reasons I'm sharing this today is not only to try to pull out these life lessons and not only to encourage us to be more serious about Jesus, but to encourage us to be more serious about the church of which He is the head. And I'm asking you, 117 years from now, what will they be saying about us? But I've got a more important question than that. When you step out into eternity, which is going to be a whole lot sooner than 117 years from now, and you see Jesus face to face, what is Jesus going to say to you? See, I'm one of those people. Sometimes I'll hear a person kind of has a, you know, a combative attitude or a kind of a belligerent streak about them, kind of a little bit of a rebel, you know, and they'll say, well, I just don't care what anybody thinks about me. You ever heard anybody say that? Sometimes I'll hear somebody say that and I'll think to myself, no kidding. No kidding, you don't care. The way you're being written. Well, I'll be honest with you. I do care what people think about me. I value that. I mean, that's important to me. But I'll tell you something I value more than what people think about me. And that is what God knows about me. And at the end of the journey, we're not going to give account to people what they might have thought. Maybe it was accurate. Maybe it was inaccurate. Maybe it was true. Maybe it was false. We're going to give an account of our lives to Jesus Christ who knows us inside out. And when we stand before him, 
We want to hear Jesus Christ say to us, not only welcome home, if we're saved, he's going to tell us welcome home, but we want to hear Jesus Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, on that day when we see Jesus, we don't know exactly how that conversation will go. Will we, will we fall down at his feet? Will we hug his neck? Will we speak first? Will he speak first? Will we be crying? Probably we'll be crying. Will he be crying? Maybe he'll be. Will it be a happy occasion? Will it be? Well, it will be because we'll be in heaven. But will, will we be ashamed that we didn't do all God called us to do? I just encourage you today to live your life in such a way so that when you step out into eternity and you see Jesus face to face, you can have confidence and you will not be ashamed of how you lived your life. That he would be able to say to you, like he said to the founding members of our church, you know what? I'm proud of you. I know there were some storms in your life, and I know there were some, some ash heaps, and I know some things had gone up in smoke, but you just kept on keeping on, and you kept trusting me, and you kept moving forward, and you kept serving me. And I believe if we'll live that way, one day Jesus will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to heaven. You can enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen. Father, I thank you today that you have given us here at First Baptist a rich history. A rich history, Lord. Not of perfect people, only you're perfect. But of people who loved you with all of their hearts. And God, I pray that we will take the baton that has been passed to us. And that we will run our leg of this race faithfully. That we will run our leg of, of this race well. So that when we see you face to face, God, one day you'll tell us, well done. With your heads bowed and eyes closed today, I'm going to ask you, if you feel led. If you don't feel led, it wouldn't mean anything anyway. But if you feel led today, would you rededicate your life to Jesus Christ? And just say, Lord, for however much life I have left, for however longer that I'm going to be here. God, I want my life to count for you. God, I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to walk with you. I want to honor you. I want my life to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Not everybody today may feel led to pray that, but I believe hundreds will. Would you just say, God, today, I rededicate my life to you. And if you feel led, would you say this to the Lord? Say, Lord, as I rededicate my life to you. Now, you have to feel led. Don't ever say something to God you don't mean. But if you don't mean this, that might be indicative of a larger problem. But if you feel led, could you say, Lord, today, I rededicate my life to your church. To be a faithful, not only a faithful Christian, but to be a faithful church member. To carry my weight. To hold up my end of the deal, as it were. So that church would not be something I do when there's not a game or there's not a golf. God, but that church would be at the top of my list. God, I rededicate my life to be a more faithful, a more faithful church member. Would you just pray that right now? There are some here today who need to be saved. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. We're going to sing one other song. We're going to give you a chance to come forward. You can come to one of us today and say, hey, today I need to be saved. I need to receive Christ. 
Father, I pray during this invitation that decisions will be made. Others here today, you're already saved, but you feel like God is leading you to come and join our church as some did in the earlier service. Today you should come. I can't imagine a better day than on the anniversary Sunday. Say, hey, I want to put my life in a church like this. Not a perfect church, but a church that loves Jesus and a church that loves people. You should just come today and share that with one of us. Father, have your way in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen and amen.